We're going to be in, of course, Psalm 119, uh, just probably a couple more weeks as we uh, conclude this passage. And then uh, hopefully, not sure which direction we'll go from here, but uh, hopefully we'll get into another study that'll be beneficial, at least as beneficial as Psalm 119 has been to us. Um, so let's look at that. We'll read in the 21st set. Verse 161 down through verse 168, okay? Verse 161 says this, Princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation and done thy commandments. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I have kept thy precepts and thy testimonies, for all my ways are before thee. Let's pray together. Our Lord, thank you for the opportunity to meet together as a church. Uh, thank you for everyone that's here and everyone that's listening now. Thank you for uh, the grace of God, Lord, as we, have, as we think of the grace of God showing upon this church in the lives of the individual members over the years, over the past almost 50 years now. Uh, Lord, we, we so desire to see the grace of God and the power of God at work among us. Lord, would you please do that? But Lord, uh, we don't just pray up in the clouds, but we pray here and now, uh, this day, that the grace and power of God will be among us today, and even in our Sunday school. But also, not only in our Sunday school here, but also in Sister Pam's and Sister McLean's and, and uh, all, the, all those that are put, have put effort into preparing lessons for the kids. And Lord, we pray for, for them too, that you would give them wisdom and understanding as they teach. Lord, help us all, Lord, to focus our hearts and minds upon the Scripture, and, O Lord, if there be any satanic resistance or hindrance, Lord, we pray that you would thwart that, that you would rebuke it, that your word might have liberty and freedom among us today. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. All right, so on Wednesday, as we've studied in Acts chapter 4, we talked about the idea of persecution and... Um, we, we saw that last week as well. Verse 157 says, Many are my persecutors and mine enemies, yet do I not decline from thy testimonies. And we talked about the purpose of persecution and, and the, the, in, in persecution, whether, and again, I have to emphasize over and over that when we talk about persecution, there are various levels of persecution. In fact, the Bible actually, uh, actually describes that as in Hebrews it says, ye had not ye have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin, which, which is an indicator that, you know, in the big picture, many, many Christians face some sort of persecution. So persecution starts uh, with the, even, even when people say nasty things about a believer or malign their character or reputation, that is a form of persecution. Jesus said, 
Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and speak all manner of evil against you falsely. Now, he's, the Lord is speaking of persecution in that case, but that's persecution that is verbal. And then, there's a, and then beyond that, there's a level of persecution that is, goes beyond just verbal persecution to, un, the, the Bible uses the term, unto bonds. In other words, where there's imprisonment involved. And that's, that's like the next level. And then beyond that, of course, is what? Well, actually, there's two beyond that, but scriptural, I guess there's one. Beyond that is, is persecution unto blood. That is where you're actually spilling your blood uh, for the Lord. And then, of course, beyond that is martyrdom, which is death. Now, we know, scripturally or, or, or historically speaking, we know that martyrdom is, is, is relatively rare considering all the Christians that have lived throughout history. And I'm thankful for that. Not that it does not happen or has, it ha- has happened many, 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 many times. But in the grand scheme, it's not something all of us face, all, all Christians have faced or will face. In fact, even imprisonment is not something that most Christians will face or have faced, especially in our time. Now, in the, in the past, that might be a different story. But most of us, though, at some point or another, if we're living for God, if we're living godly in Christ Jesus, are going to face some kind of persecution. And for most of us, just speaking practically here, it's going to be uh, the things people say about us because of our faith and because of our uh, our desire to, to please God and our, our practical righteousness. And so you have in verse 157, many are my persecutors. It's just a reminder. Notice there are many persecutors. We talked about that. In other words, living for God does not exempt us from suffering, from persecution. In fact, that, in, that's, often, that's often the first thought that comes to our mind whenever we're faced with trouble. Now, again, persecution is different than getting bad news from the doctor. Persecution is different from, say, having something like a car accident. That's not persecution. Bearing the cross of Jesus, that is biblical persecution. Other misfortunes that happen to all of us that are a result of our just living in a fallen world, that's, that's something separate. Of course, the Lord has grace for that, those things too. But when we actively live for God, we're, go, we're going to face resistance, persecution in some ma- ma- manner or, or way. And of course, absent any persecution at all, then that's an indicator we're not living for God. We're not living an upright life or we're not opening our mouth for the Lord. You know, and I know there's, over the years, there's been some, you know, there's been a lot of debate over this idea of, how many of you have heard of it? It's called lifestyle evangelism. What, what does that mean? Can somebody give me an idea of what that means? It's the idea that you can evangelize through your lifestyle. As opposed to? Uh, confrontational or specifically going out to other people. In other words, in other words, the way you live will convey the gospel enough that people will be saved. And the other is, sometimes they call confrontational. I, I, I don't really particularly care for that term, but, but what David's saying is right in that you're actively opening your mouth trying to convince people you know, to be saved. That's proactive. That, proactive that's, that's a good word. Intentional or maybe. That's, a, that's the trendy catchphrase these days. But the idea of actually going out, but the truth is you got to have both. You have to have an upright life and you have to open your mouth. 
You have to do both. If you have an upright life, that's good. And that might draw people. That's salt and that's light. That's what salt and light is scripturally. But you might draw people to you, which might then provide you an opportunity to talk about Christ. And that's, a, that's what it's designed to do. But that by itself, without us opening our mouth for the gospel's sake, is insufficient. All right? But on the other hand, opening our mouth with a wicked life is, is, will actually do active harm. It will do harm. In other words, the Lord actually says it's better for you to shut your mouth <laughs> than to live ungodly and then talk about Jesus. It's better, it's better to close your mouth. What hast thou do, to do to declare my statutes? It's, there's one place in the Old Testament. In other words, you're wicked. You need to shut your mouth. You don't need to represent me with that wicked life. And uh, so this is, uh, and so persecution Sometimes comes, and that matches, sometimes, uh, I, I've mentioned before in, on Wednesday, and we'll move on from here in just a minute, but I mentioned on Wednesday how the persecution, usually it, it's, biblically speaking, there are two sources. It's either from our desire to live for God and live uprightly, or because of the name of Christ, in other words, our faith. And that, those two things also match living uprightly, being salt and being light, that's living right and also telling people about Jesus. That's the faith part. So both of those things match. And so persecution comes in, in various forms, as I said. But the fact that we are persecuted and that people, that people are, are hostile toward us for those two reasons does not necessarily indicate, in fact, it indicates the opposite, it does not indicate that we are somehow not right with God or ineffective. Sometimes effectiveness is measured by the persecution because it's getting down to where it hurts. It's pricking the hearts. And the response is anger. And the response is hostility and resistance. Now, again, you can, you can take this to extremes and you can, uh, I've seen people talk about being persecuted because they have a nasty attitude, right? And that's, that's, that's wicked. That's wicked. And it certainly doesn't follow the example of Christ or, the, or His teachings at all. But on the other hand, it is possible that, to be persecuted just for doing right. And that, that is something that does happen a lot. And again, if, uh, as we said last week, if our per, if persecutors cause us to decline from God's law. In other words, it shuts our mouth so we won't talk about Jesus, or it causes us to back off from our desire to live for God. The persecution has won. It has been victorious. All we have to do to be victorious over, over persecution is just remain. Stay, stay by the stuff, stay faithful, and the victory is won. Then in verse 158, we talked about indifference and how harmful uh, indifference is in a church, in your family, in your personal life. Indifference is just, it's just deadly. It's just deadly. All right, verse number 161 also talks about persecution. It says, princes have persecuted me. And this, I don't know why this is, but this is, overlaps with what we're going to talk about this morning uh, to some degree. But uh, princes have persecuted me without a cause. Again, on Wednesday night, I won't spend too much time here, but remember, the important part when Jesus talked about they, they uh, hated me without a cause, that without a cause is important 
because sometimes Christians do stupid and we get the reward of our deeds. We get demoted, we get fired, we get uh, otherwise uh, castigated for our, you know, evil deeds, our lack of faithfulness or loyalty or whatever the case might be. And then we say, well, it's because of Jesus. And it's really not. So the Lord wants us, and this goes back again. The Lord says, just like the Bible says over and over, they which have professed the name of Christ, be careful to maintain good works. For these things, I misquoted that, but the, the gist of it is, these things are good and profitable unto men. In other words, live right. Live right. Look right. Act right. Talk right, spit white, but talk right. They say spit white. Anybody know what that's talking about? Chewing tobacco. Talking about chewing tobacco. <laughs> Snuff. <laughs> that's nasty. Anyway, nothing like powdered tobacco to put in your mouth. Anyway, you're going to get me distracted. See, that ain't right. Okay, let's go on. Let's go on. <laughs> I won't recover that because we covered it on Wednesday. Uh, I would like to read one verse in Matthew chapter 5 that reiterates these things um, very quickly because I covered some things in 1 Peter on Wednesday, but just to kind of cover our bases here, hopefully it's a blessing. Verse 11 says, 5.11 of Matthew, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you Key word there, what's it say? Falsely. If, if you're at work and somebody says, don't trust that, don't trust that guy, he, you know, he'll talk behind your back. He won't be honest. And you're not honest? This doesn't apply to you. For my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You know, it brings us comfort to know that others have had before us have had to endure the same things that we have had we have to endure as a believer. We are not, none of us in in this room are the first people that have had to endure these things, this kind of persecution or resistance. We stand in a long line of people who have who have remained faithful to God despite of persecution. Now, what this uh, this section here, these eight verses, the theme of this, if you notice. Verse 161, my heart, notice the heart, standeth in awe of thy word. Verse 162, as one that I rejoice at thy word, as one that findeth great spoil. 63, but thy law do I love. 164, I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. Verse 165, which love thy law. Verse 166, I have hope for thy salvation. Verse 167, I love thy testimonies exceedingly. You see this? This is, the, this is the set that deals with the love that we have toward God's Word. You know, I think that one reason that we don't spend time reading God's Word is because we don't love God's Word. You see, when you love something when you really have affection towards something inside, not just this is not the what we say, this is not how we appear to others, but when we really, really have affection towards something genuinely in our heart, 
that means that we, we, we will seek it out. We will spend time with it. And whether it's our wife, our husband, whether it's our church family, whether it's our own family, physical family or flesh and blood family, that which we love is that which we seek out because we enjoy it. We, we enjoy being around it. And the same is true of God's Word. And that, that deals directly with how faithful we are to coming to meet together with the church. Because we know churches coming to church is multifaceted. There are several reasons we come. One of the main reasons we come is fellowship. God wants us to meet together. You say, well, I don't like those people. They've done mean things to me. They say, that's part of, the, that's part of the, the process. It's not that being, not that unkind things are good. They're not good. But the fact that we're around different kinds of people who had different personalities and their values and their quirks and all that are a little bit different is good. That teaches us things about ourselves and about walking with God and about the Lord's relationship to us. You know, we're that, we're often, when people bother and irritate and offend us, is that not what the Lord constantly deals with from us to Him? It is. So the Lord teaches us to manifest His character like He does to us toward others. And the way He does that is by putting us all in a, in a big group <laughs> and so that we learn to love each other despite all the little quibbles that we might have because everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got an idea. Everybody's got something they think, you know, and all that. And sometimes there are conflicts and sometimes there are you know, misunderstandings are, are common. Listen, common, even in a family. Even in a flesh and blood family, misunderstandings are, I mean, in our family, which we have a larger than average family, I guess, but misunderstandings happen at least on a weekly basis in our family. Usually minor things, of course, but they do happen. But see, that's where the Lord tells us how to deal with these things. That's part of being part of a church fellowship. So the fellowship is not just so that everything's happy all the time. That's, of course, the goal. The Lord wants us to be in harmony and love with one another, but He also uses the times when there's, you know, there's when we have to have long suffering and patience with one another. That is good for us. That is good for us. And we can, there's also in our church, just like every church, there's weaker and there's stronger, and those things interact together. And so you have all those things, and that's part of the fellowship of the church. But then beyond that, Another major reason, I would say the two pillars of why we have church, the other major reason is the Word of God. And so, of course, if you don't love the Word of God, which is what we're talking about here in this set of eight, if, the, if there's not a true affection for God's Word, then it's going to be difficult to come to church. It's just reality. It's going to be difficult it's that, that aspect, remember there's two, the fellowship and God's Word, that aspect is not going to draw you because you don't have an affection for it. But isn't it good to obey the Lord with a heart to obey the Lord as well? Isn't it? Isn't it good to obey the Lord with desire to obey Him rather than, well, the Lord said I have to do it, you know. So this deals directly, this psalm deals directly with the heart of our, the heart we have toward God's Word. He says in 162, if you'll look at that, it says, I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. You know, like we talked about last week with 
uh, our spiritual temperature can be measured by our indifference to sin, so our spiritual temperature, to some degree, like that pun, right, can be measured by our value of God's Word. See, the thing is, is God's Word to us common and mundane, or is it precious? You think of spoil, of course, this is a reference to in battle, they would, after a battle is won, there were all the things that the soldiers had. It's, this is happening in Ukraine right now. Uh, whenever there's a battle and you know, an army or a, a unit goes through a certain town or a certain village or a certain area, and they just plunder it, steal everything. Well, they keep that, all that stuff with them, right? Because they, they eventually want to take it home, right? Whether it's the Russians or the Ukrainians. And they, they keep it. And so when there's another battle, and of course those people lose the battle or they, they perish in battle, all those things are left. And you think about getting something for nothing, something valuable, gold, money, you know, something like that. You're like, wow, this is fantastic. And, you know, that, that kind of uh, joy that comes to us from, from that kind, of course, we don't have spoil. That's not something we deal with a lot. But the idea of finding something for nothing, getting a great deal, you know, that does happen from time to time, but does, is our heart, does it also rejoice at God's Word in a similar way? You see, we often say with our lips that we highly value God's Word, but we act as if we don't. That's just true. And, and this comparison here that we see between spoil, it really sets that reality of sometimes what we say and do are different, are different. Verse 163, I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. How many times in this psalm have we read how that the law is the truth? Thy law is the truth. The emphasis of the scripture being true, 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 true. We've seen that so many times, so many times. Thy, Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And there is a, a very strong connection between a believer in Christ and the truth, between Jesus and the truth. He is the truth, in fact. A, a believer is someone who, who is in love with the truth, not just the truth as it is in the Scripture, obviously, but the reason why we like the Scripture and we're in love with the Scripture is because it's true. It's true. It's not just something that's, that's good and makes us feel nice. No, it, it's obviously that, but it's more than that. It is objective and absolute truth. That's why we love it. Because in the midst of everything that changes, I mean, think about our society now. This is, we, have, we have gone off the deep end in so many ways. Everything that we thought was, was settled biologically is not, and we, we, we resort back to the truth. This is, this is true. doesn't matter what changes, this is true. And God's Word is like that. Christians should love the truth. So that's, look what it says though. I hate and abhor lying, but thy law, that's the truth, do I love. The affection for the truth. But notice the contrast with lying. Notice the contrast with lying. Did you know in the New Testament, Scriptures, God talks about lying to Christians? Right? Put away lying. The Lord reminds us that the words we speak should be truthful words. 
and should not, and it's one thing to be, be, to be truthful words, like correct on their face, but also there's an issue sometimes with, with, among God's people of not, not necessarily a bald-faced lie, but sometimes deception, where we allow someone to get the wrong impression when we know, when we, know we shouldn't. You know, the, the Bible says that Jesus, there was, uh, who, the Bible says that he did no sin, neither was there guile in his mouth. And guile could be lying, but it also could be just kind of simple deception. A Christian should be li- a lying tongue. A lying tongue should be an object of hatred for a believer. A lying tongue should be an object of hatred for a believer. I hate and abhor lying. But there's one other way we lie. It's one other way we lie, which is in ways other than our words. In other words, we betray the truth because there's inconsistency in our life. In other words, we can be fake. We can be a hypocrite. And put forth something that we're not, which is lying in deed, not in word. Of course, we've talked about that many, many times, about how it's important to truly be what you say you are. And the truth is, if we are what we say we are, we won't need to say it, right? If we walk with God, if we live uprightly, the same will be known of us, right? If a man loved God, the same will be known of him, right? So be careful of lying. No, don't be careful of lying. Hate lying. Abhor lying, both with the tongue and with the life. Abhor it. You say, well, why are you telling us this? I mean, we're not, this, is not, this is not second grade Sunday school. The same reason the Apostle Paul said it, I guess. Uh, because the Lord wants us to love the truth. And in the, in the degree of sin that, you know, if you put sin on, you know, most serious to least serious, of course, all sin is serious. We know that. But uh, lying is pretty high up there. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. One of them is a lying tongue. All right, let's keep going. Look at verse 165. Uh, on verse 164, I thought this was good. I was reading Spurgeon's uh, Treasury of David. He, it says, seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. He says, he says how many Christians praise the Lord seven times in a day? How many of them praise the Lord once in seven days, he said. It's true. It's true. Verse 165, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Now, the way we commonly use the word offend in our day usually refers to getting your feelings hurt, right? Like, that, he said that offended me. You know, that's used in the Bible as well. But here's what the word means, and, and in fact, we'll see, a, see it a little bit more clearly in just a minute. This is from the, dic- the dictionary, the Oxford English Dictionary. To offend means to strike with the feet against something, to stumble. I'm, I'm looking up, and this is not a Hebrew word, I'm looking up the word offend, okay? To strike with the feet against something, to stumble. To make a false step 
or stumble morally, to commit a sin, to fail in duty, to do wrong, transgress. Here's another one. To be a stumbling block, that is, causing another to offend, or cause spiritual or moral difficulty to a person, to shock morally or spiritually, to cause to sin. So in our day, we think of the most commonly used the word offend. I'm offended. We're talking about somebody says something unkind to us, did something unkind, they didn't shake my hand, they didn't, you know, come to my birthday party, whatever, all right? But in this verse, it says, and nothing shall offend them. It's not talking about getting our feelings hurt. In fact, this word that is translated offend is in other parts of the Old Testament translated to stumble or a stumbling block. So we use the word offend as it relates mostly to our feelings. But this is something far more serious than this. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 5, if you would. This kind of brings this meaning into clear focus so that we can understand this verse. Matthew 5, and if you'll hold that place and go to Romans 14 as well. All right, Matthew 5, verse number 29. Matthew 5, 29, the Lord says this, And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Notice, just as a side note, notice it says body, body into hell. What is that talking about? When, you, when a person that's lost dies, their body doesn't go to hell their body goes to the grave, but their soul goes to hell, right? But this says body. This is a reference to hellfire after the judgment. If you, if you read the context of this, it's a reference to eternal fire, everlasting fire in the lake of fire. Verse 30, And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. So in both verses, the word offend is used, but this is not talking about if your right eye hurts your feelings. <laughs> that doesn't even make sense, right? It's talking about your right eye or your right hand causing you to stumble or sin. In this case, it actually keeps a person from salvation altogether. A sin keeping a person from salvation? Absolutely. There are many, many people don't believe in Christ because they want to sin. That's true. But anyway... That shows you that this is talking about stumbling. Look at Romans, if you're already there. Chapter 14, verse 21. It is good neither, and this is an important thing to understand. You have to understand the word offend. It has two separate definitions used in the Bible. One deals with hurting, the, the, hurting someone's feelings, in essence, like Jesus offended the Pharisees. But then the other one has to do with stumbling or causing to fall or sin. And it's important you know the difference when you read this verse. Verse 21. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth. Notice the word stumble. 
or is offended or is made weak. You see, if you took the word offend to mean, well, that just means you make them upset. Well, man, that hymns us in big time. That means I can't do... People get upset because we sing hymns in our church. <laughs> that means we won't sing hymns because they'll be upset with us? No, 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 no. This is talking about someone that by what we do, we cause them to stumble, to sin. That's the definition you use. You see, because it says stumble right beside it. So this gives us a clear understanding. And I'll go back to 119, Psalm 119. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 6, the Bible says this, And blessed is he, Jesus says, Blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. That's in the context of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was offended in Christ. I didn't mean Jesus hurt his feelings. It means that his expectations of Christ were, were, were wrong. And so when Jesus did what he was sent to do and fulfilled the will, of, the will of the Father, it disappointed John the Baptist and it caused his faith to stumble. And so that's why John sent those disciples to Jesus and says, are, are you the Christ or would he look for another? Paraphrasing. And Jesus said right after that, this is what I just read. He said, blessed is he who will not be offended in me. Because John the Baptist, he stumbled because of, of, because of Jesus. That's what we're seeing here in Psalm 119. Great peace have they which love thy law. You notice, when you love the law of God, it gives you peace, even if the law of God is contrary to what, where we are. And as I said with John the Baptist, just a couple things with this. John the Baptist was doubting whether he had it right. What Christ was doing caused him to stumble in his faith. You know, our expectations can also cause us to stumble. Our expectations of the Lord. Well, I thought if I live for God, nothing bad would ever happen. I thought if I live for God, I'd never get sick. I thought if I live for God... Yeah. And so when the Lord doesn't act according to our expectations, that causes us, that can, can cause us to stumble unless we love God's law. We love His Word. There's another passage in Matthew 13 where those in Jesus' hometown stumble at the Lord. You remember that? Why did they stumble at Him? Because what they heard Him say and what they thought of Him were not the same. Their stumbling was manifested by their unbelief and rejection of Christ. In other words, those in Jesus' hometown saw him come up, knew his family, knew his siblings, knew Mary and Joseph. They knew they were familiar with him. And because of that familiarity, they stumbled when he did what he, all the miracles and teachings and all those things that he did. They thought, this is not consistent. We know him. We're familiar with him. He shouldn't be able to do this. And even in John chapter 6, many of Christ's disciples were offended at him. You know, who weren't, you know, that's the passage where it says, and many of his disciples went away. They were offended. But do you know who stayed? Think about it now. Who stayed? 
Do you think that the 12 disciples ever were offended at Christ? Oh, I bet they were. I bet there were things that Jesus did that really bothered them, especially when he started talking about the cross, talking about an expectation disappointment. But in that passage, Jesus was talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and all the people that followed him were like, "What is he? this is weird. What is he talking about? They were disappointed. They stumbled. Their face stumbled at Christ. They were offended. And so they went away. And Jesus said, will you go away also? To the twelve. And, 12, and they said, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. They loved him. They did, that doesn't mean they understood everything. That doesn't mean they weren't bothered. But it meant their love kept them from stumbling. You see, they loved Christ. They were attached to him. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. There are going to be things in our life that, call, that test our expectations and that cause us to, our faith to, to falter. There are things that will do that. But when we have a sincere attachment to God through his word, that will keep us anchored and keep us from falling and stumbling. It won't take away the causes that might lead us, but it will take, it will take away the actual trip the actual fall. So this verse is not talking about, <laughs> not talking about when somebody gets upset because the preacher's mean to them or says nasty things or this is, you know, so I've heard preachers use this verse and it's that they would use the most abrasive and unkind language. Why are you smiling, Brother Stewart? Why are you smiling? Because you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I've heard preachers use this and use unkind language and nasty words and say very unkind things and then dare someone to get upset. That's not what this is talking about. That's stupid. That's, that, kind of, that kind of attitude is stupid. But what we have here is something far more serious. It's not getting upset at what the preacher said or whatever, or what brother and sister so-and-so said. No, this is about the Word of God. This is about loving His Word. All right, let's pray together.